Welcome to the show today. I have several topics on the table that I want to discuss and think about. One of them is the Great Reset. We'll talk about the one and only Klaus Schwab. And then we want to talk about also the mystery of capital. I've talked about the mystery of capital before. Really, that's the name of a book by Hernando de Soto. One of the greatest books that I think has been written regarding private property and the absolute essentiality of it in order for freedom to survive. And so we'll talk about a little bit of the principles that he brought forward in that particular book. So those are the two basic areas that I want to explore today. Before we look at the first one, the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab, I wanted to notice this. A Republican senator, this is from LifeSite News, by the way, a Republican senator claims that the survival of the United States depends upon codifying same-sex marriage. The country cannot survive, she claims, unless the people who cannot naturally create children are given the same protections as heterosexual couples, and that is U.S. Senator Cynthia Loomis, Republican from Wyoming. So here's the story, and we'll make a couple comments as we proceed along the way. She's a self-described Christian and conservative senator said that Congress needs to pass a federal law enshrining a right to same-sex marriage in order for the United States to have a chance at survival. She is a Wyoming Republican Senator, Cynthia Loomis, and she made that statement on Tuesday with 11 other Republicans and all of the Democrats except Georgia's Raphael Warnock, who is campaigning for re-election at the present time. And she was trying to pass the Respect for Marriage Act, which would require the federal government to recognize any partnership called a marriage by a state, even incestuous ones. Now, before reading her statement here, I want to notice the incongruities that we find immediately. Now, I realize that incongruities, incongruities of thought, incongruities of logic and reason, any more mean hardly anything at all to most people, whether it be Democrat, mostly on the Democrat side, but here you have one of those neocon Republicans and the, the incongruity that is the absolute self-contradiction is that she would call herself a Christian and yet at the same time say that the United States needs to have, of course, this formal legalization, which it already basically has, but they want to do it in this new Respect for Marriage Act as well as heterosexual couples. It's almost as if, do, do these people read the Bible at all? And if they, if they don't respect what God's word has to say on any particular, to, on this particular topic, then I don't expect them to respect God's word on any particular topic. And if you call yourself a Christian, that the idea is that you want to follow Christ as he set forward in the New Testament in his teaching, is very, very simple, very plain, very straightforward, whether it be in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Both Testaments condemn uniformly homosexual marriage and homosexuality, period. It absolutely is condemnatory of these things and telling us so far, even in Romans chapter 1, as Paul puts it, he said that God has given a society up when these things become standard practice. Now, that's basically the message of Romans chapter 1. 
And he makes that comment three particular times that God gave them up in the lust of their minds to do that which is not fitting among men. And he goes on with that, as I mentioned, three separate times in Romans 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have the same thing. In Jude verse 7, in many other passages in the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, whether it be in the Levitical Code or in Deuteronomy chapter 19, where these things are said to be, that is, homosexual relationships, an abomination before God. It is hard for me to understand why it is or how it can possibly be that people want to trade on the term Christian. Why, why, even, why even pretend? Why even act like, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yet I'm going to go along with this? Well, I suppose we see the same thing with many churches today. And those, whether it be in the Methodist or Presbyterians or the Catholics, they say the same thing, and yet they claim to be followers of the Bible. I tell you, it is absolutely stunning to me. Now, she goes on to state this. These are turbulent times for our nation. Americans address each other in more crude and cruel terms than ever in my lifetime. It is jarring and unbecoming of us as human beings. It is highly intolerant and frequently the most so when expressed by those who advocate for tolerance. Many of us ask ourselves, our nation is so divided, when will this end? How will it end? For the sake of our nation today and its survival, we do well by taking the step not of embracing, not embracing or validating each other's devoutly held views, but by the same simple act of tolerating them. Here, let me just mention this to Miss Loomis. It's not about whether you're tolerated or not. It's about what God's word has to say on the subject or not. What does God say? regarding homosexual marriage and what has God done in the past pertaining to homosexuality, for example, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We were told boldly and explicitly in the book of Jude, second to the last book in the New Testament, that God rained down upon Sodom the fire from heaven because of the unnatural vice that they had unnatural. It's unnatural. And as a matter of fact, that's the very reason that God destroyed Sodom. And yet we want to say, well, we need toleration for it. Well, we're not talking about whether we're open to people, that we love people. But the plain truth of the fact is sodomy destroys nations. And that is the way that God has encoded in the entire system, regardless of how much better Miss Cynthia Loomis thinks she can write the Bible. Well, then she goes on to make the statement, as a Christian and a conservative, ensuring that the religious liberties of people in Wyoming are protected, that no institution would be forced to perform a ceremony that is not in line with their values is absolutely essential. Conservative and a Christian, and yet she is for the overturning of the basic building block of society and that is a heterosexual marriage. Absolutely incredible. This is how far people have gone in using the words Christian and using the word also conservative. All right, with that, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, We'll talk about the Great Reset and uh, Mr. Klaus Schwab. Just a moment. What is the Great Reset exactly? Well, the World Economic Forum that is headed by Klaus Schwab, 
which has tied it the hip with the United Nations and other world global organizations. Announced in June of 2020 at a virtual forum, which was under the oversight of the World Economic Forum, the WEF, that we are now already started with a great reset. And the key leaders included the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the British monarchy, no less, the CCP, Communist Chinese, Chinese Communist Party, and the WF, WEF. Now, just think about that alignment for just a moment. United Nations aligning with the CCP and the WEF and the British monarchy. Does anyone get a sense of something very bizarre here that the CCP in favor of the same things called the Great Reset? Well, well, before we look at it more carefully, just what exactly is the Great Reset? Well, it is called, in the words of Schwab, the fundamental transformation of society. It's a massive draconian scheme where everything is going to be shifted to digital, whether it be education, corporate meetings, identity systems, payments, banking, medical records, even currency, all going to be digital. It's going to transform, they tell us, law, business, the food supply, governance, mindsets. Do you get that? Mind, that's one of their words, mindsets. That is how you think. There's a war on free speech, and it targets those who criticize the Great Reset, such as I'm doing right here in this particular program. Now, the changes are happening very rapidly and with a lot of cooperation with major players involved in it because virtually all institutions of power, major institutions of power, whether it be governments, businesses, unfortunately to their eternal shame, churches, religions, media, technology, education, advertising are all lining up behind the agenda. And the marketing terms are very simple. You've heard all of these terms before, but this is basically how they market the system. Being woke, the great reset, sustainable development or sustainable, social justice, smart, you know, such as you hear smart meters, build back better, the Green New Deal. Schwab tells us this, that these changes or all of these changes will take place in all aspects, how many all aspects of our societies and economies, because they all need to be revamped, including the social contract. So there you have it. So you notice the government, the, that is governing systems. Now, I want you to notice, we've already mentioned the CCP, Chinese Communist Party. They're involved in this as well. Do you think that they're going to change from communism to free market capitalism? No. No, that's not going to occur. No, there is only one country, one primary country, that is in the crosshairs of all of this. And that is, of course, the United States. And the Constitutional Republic that our forefathers established is that which has got to go. It cannot stand. And, of course, we're not really following the Constitution now anyway, but Schwab tells us, no, we're not going to have constitutional liberty, a constitutional republic any longer. 
So in 2016, Klaus Schwab produced a video. And this video predicted the coming of what he called neo-feudalism. Neo-feudalism. And he claimed that by 2030, let's see, that's only eight years away, people will own nothing. You will own nothing. Even our thinking, our behavior, it must make a dramatic shift. So you will own nothing at all. Now, you can see immediately that that's going to change, of course, the governing system of the United States. Now, let's, well, now what I want to do is I'm going to circle back to this particular topic about owning nothing, and we'll talk about that in the later block of the program. I want to continue on with Klaus Schwab for just a moment, the Great Reset, and then we'll come back to that, circle back to that later. So one of the ways that this is being accomplished, and it is at breakneck speed in the United States and across the globe, the EU, for example, right now, pushing it ahead. And that is by the ESG mantra, which is transforming the economies and businesses. Now, what is ESG? Well, the ESG Rubicon has already been crossed, according to Schwab. He says it's already been crossed. Here's a statement. The world as we know it in the early months of 2020 is no more dissolved in the context of the pandemic. He wrote, and he put it this way blasphemously, that history would henceforth be divided as B.C., before coronavirus, and A.C., that's not alternating current, but after coronavirus. Now, that is blasphemous because, as you know, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., and Domini, the year of our Lord, refers to the time that our Lord was born and has been, of course, the standard measuring bar that we have utilized for centuries. But of course, Christ is he who is hated by the Klaus Schwab's and the World Economic Forums, and the United Nations, and the CCP masters of the world. They hate Christ and they want Christ out of the way. And so it's going to be a BC before coronavirus and AC after coronavirus. Now, criticism is already starting to brew and it needs to step up if we're going to save our nation. Well, let's talk about this ESG model for just a moment and just see how quickly we move down the tracks. There is now ESG investing. ESG is environmental, social, and corporate governance. It's a marketing slogan to promote an old idea. What's the old idea? The old idea is fascism, the fascist economic model. Under ESG, environmental, social, and corporate model, corporations are expected to serve the goals and decrees of the state and predatory elites rather than consumers and shareholders as they would do in a free market. So you can see immediately it's not a bottom-up government. It's not power from the people moving ahead that is moving up the ladder as we give power to a federal government or a state government, but it is a top-down model where you have the top controls at the, of the people at the top pulling the levers of society. So the ESG gold standard is wokeness, and they have one toolbar in their kit, and that is climate alarmism. And so they talk about diversity, social justice, and wokeness. ESG com conscious companies, these are the ones that embrace 
left-wing politics, globalism, LGBTQ agendas, cancel culture, and everything else that is leftist. So what's happening is companies now are scored on an ESG credit score level, credit scorecard. And so as the CCP uses, so let's, let's just look at communist China for just a moment. They grade all of their 1.4 billion victims on a social credit score. That would be for individuals and companies. Well, what does that mean? That means, well, do they toe the party line of communism or are they actually in rebellion against the government? Are they compliant citizens that is compliant to whether it be a a one-child policy in the family, compliant for not speaking against the government, not saying anything against Xi Jinping, not protesting in the streets? What kind of citizen is this particular citizen? That's the social credit score that China gives to its citizens. Now, that's exactly what the United Nations says, hey, We like that idea. We're going to use that, and we have foisted it upon American businesses and business models, and they are now pushing an ESG score on businesses in America. And that will, of course, trickle down to, this is the trickle-down theory, of course. This will trickle down to individuals as well. The ESG actually was invented by Paul Clements Hunt. He's a United Nations globalist. He served as the head of the U.N. Environment Program, UNEP, a finance initiative. U.N. Environment Program for Finance Initiative. He publicly boasted that ESG scores would be foisted on the United Nations Agenda 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, which is, of course, a recipe for planetary uh, technocracy. So what he wants to do is have... All businesses, and that's this is not simply him, but the United Nations as well, all businesses must conform on this environmental, social, and governance score. What does that mean? Well, it means companies like BlackRock, they have $10 trillion in assets under management and working to steer capital into ESG-compliant firms and into China Chinese firms away from those who resist. That is, if you don't have a good ESG score, whether you are for climate alarmism, whether you're for socialistic government governance, such as the United Nations model is, if you're not for that, if you're not for these stakeholders, that's what Klaus Schwab calls it, stakeholder capitalism. If you're not for that, then your ESG score is going to go down. So what kind of, what kind of bank you bank at, what kind of store you buy clothing or food at, all these particular outlets will have an ESG score. And these ESG scores will either prosper financially or they will start being depleted financially depending upon the scores as is controlled by the UN bosses and the World Economic Forum. So let's just break it down even further. Schwab, Klaus Schwab calls it stakeholder capitalism. This means that companies should serve the government, basically, is what it means. That's what it all means. The company should serve the government and embrace the agenda that the World Economic Forum has set forward. It's an old idea started by Benito Mussolini. 
the merger of state and corporate power. Now, what happened there? Now, his definition of fascism, not mine, this is Mussolini's definition of fascism, exactly used also by Adolf Hitler's National Socialist, is the same model today used by the CCP and now pushed by the World Economic Forum. Companies might be privately owned. You might own your company privately on paper, but you must do what the overlords demand or be destroyed. For example, BlackRock. Or now there's also the company Blackstone. Blackstone is now the world's largest landlord buying up more and more residential commercial property. And they will, of course, continue to buy this property. That brings us to Klaus Schwab's goal that you will own nothing. You will rent. Do you know that more than 90% of the S&P 500 companies now publish ESG reports? 90%. You thought that might be just a small thing taking place in the corner of the world? No, you're mistaken. Those companies will exceed $40 trillion of assets this year with around $2.5 trillion allocated to sustainable investment funds. They must put money in sustainable development. That means, of course, such as they're doing in the Netherlands, shutting down farms. You read about this going on right now because the EU says they're putting out too much nitrogen, too many cow flatulence, and so we've got to shut down those farms, and they're going to do it by request at first, by force, if it doesn't take, if that doesn't take the measures strong enough. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Now, you might want to know where to look, to go to look on the internet to find out more about ESG, and that is from one of the purveyors of the ESG model. I'm going to give you a website here, and that is, it's called the Guardians of Inclusive Capitalism. Guardians of Inclusive Capitalism. You look it up, and you're going to find that they have an alliance with many of the most pro-abortion, pro-LGBTQ, pro-global government on the earth, and included in it, get this, the United Nations, Visa, Bank of America, Johnson & Johnson, British Petroleum, MasterCard, Salesforce, the state of California, the Ford Foundation, who would have guessed, and the Rockefeller Foundation, and many more. Now, I want you to notice what I had to say at the beginning of it. The most pro-abortion, pro-LGBTQ, pro-global government on the earth. You might be surprised, maybe you're not, if you follow what's taking place in the realm of religion, particularly when I'm talking about the Roman Catholic Church, you're going to You're going to be shocked on this one. If you follow it, you're not going to be shocked. But one of the stakeholders in it, one of the corporate members of it, is indeed the Vatican itself. All right, well, let's let's stop here. The Vatican itself has teamed up with these different companies that I mentioned a moment ago in the Guardians of Inclusive Capitalism. Supposedly, the Vatican, the Roman Catholic headquarters, is against abortion, is against homosexuality, and yet they have teamed up with the most pro-abortion, pro-LGBTQ, pro-global government, pro-socialist organizations on the earth, and they've teamed up with them. That's under the leadership now of the so-called Pope Francis. That was in late 2020. Pope Francis unveiled the Council 
for inclusive capitalism with the Vatican. And members are state, religious, and corporate. They have over $10 trillion under management and more than 200 million workers in over 160 companies. So much for the anti-abortion stance of the Roman Church. So much for the anti-homosexual stance of the Roman Church. No. No. It's actually a system of communism itself, and it pushes a global government in league with the Chinese Communist Party, as well as the others that I mentioned in it. Isn't that shocking? They teamed up with the Rothschild banking dynasty to provide a moral facade to all of it. And that's, of course, why they wanted the RCC, the Roman Catholic Church, involved in it. Now, what's going to take place and what is already taking place is they use, of course, force. And I mentioned it before we went to break in the Netherlands, what they're doing with the farmers there. Over 300 farms, I think. I read it in an article just, uh, just earlier today before I came on the air. The government's there, in, for example, in the Netherlands, are in the process of incentivizing, mandating inclusive, what they call inclusive capitalism. Well, what is that? Well, the EU, that is the European Union, has many mechanisms as non-financial reporting directives, which forces companies to publish information on their environmental social records. Now, that enforce that that's as a for this is a force that they're using sustainable financial disclosure regulations forcing investment firms and managers to disclose esg information for its clients so it's not free market at all and so what they're doing is they're saying okay there are over 300 farms right here and by the way the netherlands is the world's second largest producer of food on the globe and they're being forced to get in line with the ESG mandates or give up those farms, one of the two. And, of course, we know that private farms are not going to be able to be in line unless they spend bucos of money and get rid of the basic things that give them the bread on the table, and that is the farms themselves, the cows and whatever, whatever they might be raising on the farm. Now, Where's the Biden administration on this? Well, you know where he is on it. If you know anything about the way Biden manages and wants to go, you know very well he's lockstep with the Chinese Communist Party. The Biden administration is working to mandate all sorts of ESD disclosures working through the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. And these regulations will crush small businesses, simply crush them. For example, under the SEC proposal to force all companies to disclose their emissions, Biden is trying to force this now. All suppliers, including family farms, will have to start tracking their own emissions. What will that do? That's going to destroy businesses. That's what it's going to do. Now, what's the goal? Remember what Klaus Schwab had to say by 2030? You will own nothing, and you will be simply a manager on a farm. That is, a collective farm such as we knew in communism. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, by the way, I wanted to make mention of the fact that once a month, I am a guest on the Jesse Lee Peterson Show, 
out of Los Angeles, California. And I am on there for usually a half hour to an hour segment of time. And you can find that at, I think it's a JLP talk that Jesse Lee Peterson talk radio. Uh, you can find it on the internet, but once a month I'm on his show and we talk about some of these issues and a lot more of things also that I'm not able to even spend time with on this program. That being said, we're also rebranding this program and we're rebranding it as patriotic pulpit. And so the website that we have is still, still now active, but we'll be changing that up as well. So patriotic pulpit, how we're going to label the program. You'll find it on Spotify. You can find it on Amazon music as well. Now to follow my material more carefully, that is in writing a lot of the materials I talk about here, I write about, and you can find those on the news talk 1290 website. And so you can go there and read that material. Also, if you want to support the program, you still can go to American Liberty with bill There's a donate button that is there. I hope that you do so. And uh, thank you so much for all your support and listening to it. And uh, this is simply an outlet for us to uh, bring about uh, some of the, I think, teach some of the principles I think that are so important in America. So let's, let me uh, back up now to the first part of the program in which I talked about Klaus Schwab saying that you will own nothing. And this is the fascistic model that is you might have your name on paper for owning something, but you're going to do what the masters tell you to do. You're going to, you're going to manage your business as they tell you from upstairs. And that's exactly how Klaus Schwab wants it. No private property. So let's, let's think about private property for just a moment. You know, our founding fathers were so interested in protecting private property. And they recognized it's really one of the greatest keys, if not the greatest key, to freedom. And they correctly recognized that to be the case. Private property also, they pointed out, was an extension of one's life, one's energy, one's ingenuity. And to destroy or confiscate property is in reality an attack on the essence of life itself. And to manage someone and tell him how to use his or her property is basically the same thing. Is basically to say, I'm the overlord. I'm going to confiscate it. It's going to come to me, and it's in my name, and you're just going to be a plebe on it. That is, you're going to be a renter of the property. So property rights is, is so important. Now, to state it more correctly and more accurately, it is the right to private property, not the right of private property, but the right to property. It's in reality an extension of personal liberty. We need to get that ingrained in our mind. The right to property is in reality an extension of personal liberty. Justice George Sutherland of the United States Supreme Court, he was back in the 1920s and 30s, he once stated the individual, the man, the individual that is the person has three great rights equally sacred from arbitrary interference, his life, his liberty, and his property. It was enshrined in our Constitution in that fashion two times, in the Declaration of Independence, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. George Sutherland went on to note that the three rights are so bound together to be as essentially considered one right. For example, to give a man his life, 
but to deny him his liberty is to take from him all that makes his life worth living. To give him his liberty, but to take from him the property, which is the fruit and batch of his liberty, is to leave him a slave. Property rights is an essential ingredient to personal freedom. And John Adams, second president of the United States, signer of the Declaration and of the Constitution, saw it clearly. The moment the idea is admitted into society that property is not as sacred as the laws of God and that there is not a force of law and public justice to protect it, anarchy and tyranny commences. Property must be secure or liberty cannot exist. So for these reasons, as well as Thomas Jefferson and George Washington making the same type of statements, for these reasons, private property, the right to private property is an essential key to liberty. One of the most fascinating and, in my estimation, most learned books that I have read in a long time was written in 2000 and only read it just a couple of years ago. And it's by Hernando de Soto and it's called the mystery of capital. And he discusses what is capital, what is property actually, and really has opened my eyes to the whole thing. He points out that property, the real nature of property is not part of the physical world. It's actually, it's natural habitat is actually legal and economic. Property is about invisible things. And I thought, what in the world is he talking about? Well, he goes on to tell us that it is an implicit legal infrastructure hidden deep within the property systems of which ownership is but the tip of the iceberg. It is formal property law, protection of private property, the right to private property. Property is the title to it. That is recognized by uniform law of the country, the title to property. It is the legal expression of property that we're interested in. Not the physical property so much, but the legal expression. It is not simply private property rights, but an integration of legal property rights into one system. So he explains it this way. It's like a telephone. You might have an iPhone, but it's worthless. The telephone is worthless unless it actually can connect to other iPhones or if it connects to the Internet. That's the only that's the only reason the device that you hold in your hands is worth anything because it actually has a connection to something else. So they're discovering that in China because Apple right now, matter of fact, has taken off the airdrop application for the Chinese people so that they might not gather together and organize protest against the Chinese government. And Apple is the one who has actually assisted the Chinese Communist Party in doing that. So that's an example of it. So if your telephone is going to be worth anything at all, it has to be able to connect to the system. So exactly it is regarding law. Other nations, for example, let's just take different African nations. They have assets even more than the United States, but they don't have the same wealth that the United States has. Why is that the case? They have the assets, but they don't have what? A uniform, formal, legal property law system that protects the right to private property. That's why thorough-dwelled countries do not have that kind of law. Five-sixths of humanity 
do have things, but they lack the process to represent that property and create capital. For example, let's take another illustration for a moment. A house. The single most important source of funds for a new business in the United States is the mortgage on the entrepreneur's house. These assets can provide a link to the owner's credit history, an account for address for the collection of debts and taxes, the basis for creation of reliable and universal public utilities, the foundation for creation of securities, mortgage-backed bonds. And by this process, the West injects life into the assets and makes them generate capital. And that is what he calls the mystery of capital. Westerners have assets just as Eastern countries do, but the difference is this. In the West, we represent these assets with formal titles that are recognized in a universal, that is nationwide, uniform law, and we're able, therefore, to utilize these to draw capital from them. Foreign countries, ladies and gentlemen, are rich, but they do not have enforceable transaction on property rights. So DeSoto estimates that $9.3 trillion, now this was written in 2000, mind you, $9.3 trillion in dead capital is in foreign countries. And the lack of legal property thus explains why citizens in developing and former communist countries cannot make profitable contracts with strangers. They can't get credit. They can't get insurance. They can't get utility services. Because what? They have no property to lose. They have no collateral. They have no property to lose. Therefore, they cannot be taken seriously as contracting parties only by their immediate families and neighbors. And people with nothing to lose are trapped in the grubby basement of a pre-capitalistic world. And that's how DeSoto words it. The grubby basement of the pre-capitalist world. It's exactly what's going to take place. If Klaus Schwab has his way, no one has any private property. There's not going to be any building of wealth. Be, you'll be just like in a third world country. Everything will be back to a tribalistic system. You'll be able to trade with your partners and your friends and your family. But creating capital, absolutely gone. That's why... Capitalism does not work in third world countries because of third world red tape as well. So DeSoto traveled to 20, in 20 different, uh, uh, over the period of, I should say, 20 different years. He explored systems in Lima, Peru, Cairo, Egypt, the Philippines, Haiti, Brazil, Venezuela, all these different countries. Buying property in some countries takes six to seven years of legal red tape. In the Philippines, it takes 13 to 25 years. So instead of purchasing property, what do they do? They can't go through the years of legalese paperwork to build a, have a building permit because the obstacles to legality are so tremendous. So what do they do? Well, they build illegally. That's what happens. And they are squatters. Cape Town, South Africa, for example. Thousands live in tin shacks. We have a, I, I preach at the Church of Christ in Iowa Park. Incidentally, you can, just an aside here, iowaparkcoc.org is where you can see my sermons. You can go there, see my articles, sermons as well. You want to know what I believe on certain things biblically oriented. There you have it right there. Well, 
We have, at the Iowa Park Church of Christ, we sponsor a missionary in Cape Town, South Africa. And he tells the same story here as Hernando de Soto. Thousands of people live in tin shacks that don't even own the property. It's all federally owned. The government supplies some utilities, but it doesn't belong to the people. It's the same in Cairo, Egypt. People don't, don't respect the law. They don't have respect for the law because they're already living illegally. They have built, they're all squatters. Utility, how about utilities? Well, they attach assets to the owners. This is what utility practices here. Attach assets to the owners by means of the property that they owned. But if you don't own the property, then what? Well, the utility companies has no collateral, nothing upon which they can rely to provide you a utility because you might, you know, in your tin shack, go somewhere else tomorrow. So that's the way they live in the third world countries. The only people contracting with your family members, it's an updated tribal system such as the American Indians practiced here a few hundred years ago. In Turkey, for example, most live in unauthorized housing on government land. Indonesia. Get this, 90% of Indonesians live in extra-legal sectors. There are no no enforceable property rights. They have no collateral, nothing against which to borrow. They cannot remain legal. When they try to be legal, it takes 13 to 25 years to get legal. It's too much money, too much red tape. Even to stay compliant, it takes that much red tape. So they can't stay legal. They can't hold property efficiently. They can't enforce contracts through the courts. They can't limit the liabilities with insurance. So what, what, can they borrow? No, they can't borrow money. So what is dead capital? And people break laws all the time. Most of the world, 80% of the world, DeSoto tells us, live extra legally outside the bounds of legality. It gives us interesting illustration. He tells us, you know, the dogs in these foreign countries, and I think he was talking about Indonesia, particularly in this one, even the dogs know what their properties are or what their owner's properties are. You can tell by the fact that you walk around the different neighborhoods and one, one dog comes to the edge of what they consider to be their property, their owner's property, and they bark at you. And then finally you get to another place. No legality to it, but even dogs know there's some kind of property there. But that's the only way they can make that kind of make that discernment there. Isn't that interesting? And this is why, by the way, foreign aid does not work. Incidentally, do we want to talk about the Constitution? I'd like for someone to show me one letter in the Constitution that authorizes the United States to give foreign aid to other countries, period. There is, there is not there at all. We don't have one constitutional authority for foreign aid. And this is why foreign aid doesn't work anyway, because we have everybody over there living in poor countries, not that they don't have money, not that they don't receive money, or that they don't have assets, but they don't have legal institutions to protect their own property. And so in Egypt, for example, the wealth that the poor have accumulated is worth 45 times as much as the sum of all direct foreign investment ever recorded there. In Haiti, the poorest nation in Latin America, the total assets of the poor are more than 150 times greater than all foreign investment received 
since Haiti's independence from France in 1804. If the United States were to hike its foreign aid budget to the level recommended to the United Nations by the U.N., that is 0.7% of our national income, it would take the richest country on earth more than 150 years to transfer the world's poor resources to the world's poor resources equal to those that they already possess. What's lacking? A uniform legal system. Now, there are a lot more things that we can add to this, but you get the picture. So what does Klaus Schwab want? What do the global masters want? They want you to own nothing. How are you going to live? The same way they are now living in 80% of the world. The same way they live in Cape Town, South Africa. They live in 10 shacks. There are squatters in Egypt, in Cairo. The squatters in Philippines. And no one can build capital and no one can build wealth, period. That's what they want for you. <laughs> 